0: YourWelder.com was built by actual industry welding experts who actually perform this type of work on a daily basis. And here's the best part. They're veteran owned and operated. So go check them out at YourWelder.com. And also feel free to check them out on social media where I'll include their links in the show notes. So the days start to run together. Have you ever had weeks like that where, where you're just so busy and you're so tied up? And you try to even think about what day it is and what time it is, you don't know. Well, that, that's kind of where I am right now. I just, uh, I literally just got back from Indianapolis. And when I sit here and I think, I'm like, where was I the week before Indianapolis? I can't even remember where I was the week prior. That's how jumbled together everything has been getting for me. I literally have to sit here and pull up my calendar to see where I was just the week prior. Um, I do know this, I'm home for four whole days and then I go to Des Moines, Iowa, uh, Greenwood, Indiana and Beaver Creek, Ohio for all for post-traumatic purpose. But I was just in Indianapolis. I was working with 350 members of the American Legion downtown at the Sheridan hotel. And that was a, that was a different event. I'm going to tell you it was, um, we had, I think the average age might've been about 74, 70, I don't know. 112. It, it, the the average range was right around in there. It was a lot of fun, man. Um, we, uh, I would definitely, I told the audience, I was like, I really, cause it was an evening event. And I was like, man, I really appreciate y'all staying up past jeopardy for this bullshit. Like, and, uh, and they, and they bit into it right then. So they were, they were a cool group, but I was fortunate enough to, um, be called up onto the stage after i was finished and the commander the national commander of the entire foreign or excuse me of the national american god darn it the national commander of the entire american legion uh presented me with a, a pin and a membership so i am now officially a member of the american legion uh veterans strengthening strengthening america this is cool man that's i never uh I never thought about that, and then I just when you realize how big the American Legion is, it's huge, it's huge, and they do wonderful things for veterans all over the world, man. And it's just it's a really cool organization, and I'm just I'm just proud and to have been a part of uh, their event the other night. What what an honor that was. I think today I'm going to uh, use this episode to kind of reflect on a few things and to drive certain points home that we've already discussed many times on here. You know, when all these days start running together, if if you go to my tour schedule, travishouse.com and you look at all those dates that are on there, I mean, there are times where I'm never home. And then when I am home, I'm I'm there for literally a day, two days, just enough time to pack and get get back out the door. And that's kind of where I'm at in my, and I'm not complaining. That this is, it is this is what I do. I've been you know touring for 15 years, um, so I'm I'm quite used to it. But I understand that many times in my over the years, I've had to try to purposely learn how to appreciate the downtime because I'm not good at downtime. I'm not good at, at sitting idle. Although I get to hang out on my farm and all of that, I still have my passion and my passion is people and I love working with people. So when I don't get to do that for weeks on end, it starts driving me nuts. The issue is when I have to do it for weeks on end without getting any downtime, that drives me nuts. So the other day, uh, I was at my farm. I had two, I had two days between travel and my mother and father came up and my wife and kids were out here and I my dad and I worked that afternoon, patching up some fencing, just like the old days. Like when I first bought this place, we had to, we had to put up every, every last inch of fencing around this entire property. And with the recent storms we've had, uh, we had three pieces of fencing come down with tree limbs and stuff. So my dad and I are out there working and it was nice day. And I was just really appreciating getting to spend some time with him, um, and doing just some, some manual labor and, when we were done that night, I said, dad, I said, I'm going to get up at five o'clock in the morning tomorrow. And he goes, well, why are you getting up so early? I said, I want to get up and, uh, I want to build a fire cause it's going to be cool out the next morning. And I said, I just want to sit by the fire. I just, I could sleep in, I could go to the gym, I could do all these things, but honestly, I just, I just wanted to sit next to the fire. So that's what I did is that morning I got up, my dad got up too, and we went outside and we had a three hour cup of coffee from five o'clock till eight o'clock in the morning. We just sat there and we kept feeding that fire and stoking it and just having conversation. And it was nice to be able to get lost in that moment for a little while. Um, even though I had, I had to get on a plane, you know, and the following day, it was just nice to sit there and think about nothing and to worry about nothing. And, I'm telling you, that is where the most, I think some of the most healthy moments of your life come from times like that. Times when there's no worry. Times when there's no hurt. Times when there's no confusion. Times when there's no anxiety. Times when there's no stress. Just sit by a fire. Listen to it crackle. We call it caveman TV and just sit there and watch caveman TV for a little bit and don't think about anything. Because the next day when I was on that plane, what I would have given to not, to not be on that plane. This is why people are like, man, Travis, you travel everywhere and you drive a lot. Why don't you fly? Well, let me tell you why I don't fly. I don't fly because of this. I, it's not that I'm afraid of flying. I've been flying my whole life. I flew, I've flown in helicopters, name a helicopter. We've flown in it. You know what I mean? We've repelled out of them. We fast roped out of them. I've flown in all kinds of different military aircraft, planes, you name it. I mean, it's not, I mean, I haven't done the Blue Angels yet, but that's on the bucket list. I would die. Anyway, I um, I get on my plane to Indy. In the first flight out, man, um, it was my, no, it was my second flight. I connected in Atlanta, then Atlanta Indy. And one, I don't like the rat race. I don't like people walking all through the... um through the airport all fast. It annoys me because I'm like, motherfucker, if you would have just left your house in time, and if you would have planned appropriately, you probably wouldn't be running late. And there's no way every plane in there is late. So you can't say, well, their flight's del- uh, running behind. With the amount of cancellations and delays now, ain't nobody missing their flight. Get the fuck out of here. But everybody's in such a hurry. Everybody's hyper-focused on themselves. Nobody, There's no, like, um, there's no common courtesy. People don't get out of your way. I watch people when they sit down They won't, they won't move for old ladies to sit down. I watch them put their luggage in a chair so nobody will sit next to them. And I always, always, always walk up to somebody and I ask them like, is anybody sitting there? And I just give them that look. And then you can see that they're frustrated. They hate that, but I don't, that's part about part of the reason why, like, I like people, but I don't. (laughs) So I, I ended up getting booked on this flight. It was a last minute flight I took because I was going to drive and I ended up getting my ticket late. And this is what happened. I got a middle seat. And as soon as I sit down in my seat in Atlanta, the guy on my right starts talking to the girl on my left and he starts trying to impress her with his motorcycle. He's showing her pictures on his phone. She could give a shit, but she's trying to entertain the conversation because she's trying not to be rude. And what I wanted to do is look at her and I go, why don't you just be honest and tell him that you don't give a fuck about anything he's saying, stick your headphones in and let's go our separate ways. I sat there for probably 10 minutes because we got stopped on the um, while we were taxiing before we took off. And I was pinned between two people having a conversation. Now, you want to talk about hypervigilance kicking in? You want to talk about anxiety getting in? I started sweating. And I was trying to control my reaction to this situation. And this is what I mean about small victories. The old me would have said something. I would have said, dude, your halitosis is all in my nose holes and i can't take this and ma'am if you're going to entertain this this conversation we need to switch seats because y'all are both being extremely rude right now talking across my face but i purposely tried not to do that i i i wanted to ex to exercise my control and i was in the perfect environment to do that so that's what i did I exercised it. I sat there and I started saying things in my own mind. I started rubbing my hands the way that that I will in situations like that. I started doing my little counting exercise I do and eventually it all went away. Now see what I'm getting at is this. The old me would have made that situation worse and I would have made it worse for the entire flight. I may have gotten kicked off of a flight and I may have ended up costing myself work and undue stress that I didn't need in my life. And that's what I encourage people to do. I know it's so hard. You want to jump in somebody's ass when they're doing something wrong, or you feel like you're being disrespected, or you feel like people are just not having common courtesy towards their fellow man, which is a big one. You cannot police the world, but you can police yourself. And that's what I've been working on. And that's what I I try to encourage people to work on is just, just police yourself. But I go back to, uh, I want to go back to that fire that I was sitting sitting there with my dad and talk about feeding that fire and how it pertains to our internal fire and all the desires that we have and ambitions uh, and goals in life. You know, as I was watching that fire and I'm putting the fuel in, you know, fire needs several things. It needs heat, it needs fuel, and it needs oxygen, right? And if you don't give it those three things, a fire will die. It just will not burn. Um, so as I'm sitting there feeding this fire, I'm just putting you know some small sticks, and every once in a while you put it you put a bigger log on there. But the small sticks, man, is what really keeps those things going. And as it would die down, I started thinking about the motivation of the fire, and I started thinking about my life, and I started thinking about there's times where I was almost completely out. And I was smoldering inside. And all I needed was a breath of, of oxygen. Like some, I needed somebody to just like give me a good, long, hard breath. And I'm, I'm trying to be careful what I say because I'm not trying to make this dirty. To just get enough oxygen in your body to stoke your own fire. And that's what you got to do, man. Because sometimes you feel utterly defeated. Sometimes you feel like you're completely out of the fight. You want to do better. You want to be better, but you can't find that motivation, and that's when you just need that breath of oxygen, and you need those little sticks inside of you. It doesn't, and that's I think part of the part of the problem with uh, with perseverance and resiliency and all of this is most people expect it in big forms. They expect like these major improvements to take place all at one time, and that's not what happens. Big fires don't start big, right? Every fire starts from a spark every single one of them, unless you drop a fucking 2000 pound bomb on top of something. And then, then you got big problems and that's an, that's called a big ass explosion, but that's not how things happen in life. You need momentum. You got to have momentum anytime you're, you're going through anything in life. And when you stop from a dead start or you try to light a fire from absolutely nothing, when, when you are just saturated inside, like, um, with guilt and with, and just riddled with depression, all of that stuff dampens your, your, your combustible, your combustible materials inside of your body. And what happens is you need to dry out. You need to dry all that stuff out. You need to get it out of your body and then get a spark. And once you get that spark, you just got to add more fuel to it and add more oxygen to it and keep yourself motivated and keep pushing forward. I know this is deep, But that's the shit I was thinking about when I was sitting by that fire. And I was like, how many times, how many times have I almost been out? And it's too many to count. It, it really is. And I think I use that as fuel for my motivation for later. Anytime I get down, I think about that fire I'm like, all right, you know what? You need a breath of oxygen. You need a little bit more fuel in your system to keep you going. How do we do that though? Like, I think a lot of times also, I think, I think we look for the wrong things. I think what we do is we try to put things in our life and we try to make money and we try to, um, we make it too materialistic. I'm going to tell you one of the coolest things is this, you, you need to escape. You got to have an escape from your present mindset, whether it be for five minutes, five days, whatever it is, but you got to be able to find a way to escape all of that stress. And this is what I'm going to tell you. The last, I don't know, 15, 20 events, maybe post-traumatic purpose. I mean, we've been getting a lot of therapy dogs that are coming out. Their handlers are bringing their dogs. The dogs love being there. And I'm going to tell you this. It is the most Wonderful feeling looking at a dog and watching everybody after, you know, because my courses are very emotional and they get very heavy. And I watch the people when we do our breaks and I watch them go up to these dogs and I watch them pet them. And you can see whatever burden is on these people's minds or on their backs or on their shoulders. You can see it lifted in an instant. These dogs are beyond phenomenal. I do it between my breaks when dogs are there, because a lot of times what happens with me is I get bombarded. Uh, People will come up and they'll do trauma dumps on me between, between my breaks. So I try to avoid that as much as possible. So if I can get really engaged with a therapy dog, when I'm there, it makes my breaks a lot smoother. So I can go into the next training session with a clear head. When I came back, I came back from uh, Pittsburgh in Connecticut. That's where I was the week before last. When I came back, I came back to my farm. I was sitting out here and I had an epiphany. My donkeys are therapy donkeys. All I do is I sit out here and I pet them. I kiss them between their ears and on their nose and I tell them how much I love them and I tell them how much I care about them and I feed them. I give them carrots and Daisy will come up And put her big ass 200 pound head is what it feels like. And she'll just drop it right in your lap. And she'll just look at you with those big dark donkey eyes like pet me. And I will sit there for hours petting this donkey. And I've never even thought about it until I thought about it. And I get to escape. That's what you need in your life. I'm not saying you got to go out and buy a goddamn donkey. But you need something in your life to where when you have these moments something can set your soul free so you can be more wholesome for yourself and your family i come back the other night from indianapolis right i had this i had a shit travel day it was what it was i get home i didn't come out to my farm i went back to my home in charleston and it was a bad day it was a bad day because i had everything that was built up i didn't have my donkey to pet i had my dog but i walked in a dog destroyed the house we had to get to soccer practice I had two little girls that had attitude problems with them that day and I exploded. I'm going to be honest. I exploded. I exploded on them in a way that I shouldn't have. And again, I'm not perfect. I have faults. I admit that I'm transparent with people. I did try to work on what happened before I exploded, but it, it got to a boiling point where sometimes I say this sometimes sometimes. Kids don't respect you as a parent until you explode. Sometimes they have to see a little bit of viciousness in order to respect it. And I hate saying that because it sounds like shit. Because you'll have parents out there who say the opposite. But I have found, it's just like in the Marine Corps, when you ask for something nicely, people don't take that as seriously. But the more assertive you become the more seriously they take things. Same as the workforce. And and when I was police out there in the street, you ask, you ask a criminal to not do something and ask them nicely, they don't really listen the same way they do that when you have to be more assertive. Well I got upset with myself after that because I I pride myself now in not being the same guy. I pride myself in 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 being far removed from who I used to be. Now I didn't talk to my kids the way I, I used to would have, but I got a little, probably went a little too assertive. And then I thought about that, man. And I said, there's no use in crying over spilled milk. You you know, everybody knows that. And, but then I started thinking about it. We, we scream over, over spilled milk. People like me where I've, I've, when I teach these classes, these post-traumatic purpose courses, I've had so many spouses come up and they're like, you just talked about my husband for three hours without, without even talking about him. And I'm like, usually like, ma'am, I know because that's how we mo- most of us are. And you know what? One of the main things these spouses always say, my husband has these explosive moments where if somebody even spills a glass of water, it'll set him off just like a light, like a light switch. And it's not a big deal in the grand scheme of things, but it is a big deal. It's a big deal in our minds. I don't have the answer as to why that happens, but I do know a lot of it is trauma related. A lot of it is anxiety related. A lot of it is hypervigilance related. We communicate differently. We expect so much from people that any little thing that is altered from that course of expectation, we flip our shit You know, I I talk, I have a note that talks about me eating like a puppy. I eat really fast. I eat so fast. Sometimes I don't get to enjoy my food. And then when I'm done, I sit around and I watch everybody else. And I actually inside get aggravated because I'm like, why in the fuck are y'all taking so long to eat? We have shit to do when we don't have shit to do. Okay. Do you know where that stems from? And you think, You think your family doesn't feel that you think your wife doesn't feel that you think your kids don't feel that every single time you eat, you sit there and eat like it's your last meal. And then when they're not done, when they're enjoying conversation and they're enjoying their meal and they're enjoying their drinks and we're at a restaurant or at home, you're ready to go because you're uncomfortable now because you're in an environment that you can't control. Do you know where that stems from? that stems, a lot of that stems from military. A lot of that stems from law enforcement. A lot of that stems from fire stations, from paramedics, from dispatchers, all of us. When do we get to sit down and really enjoy a meal and sit there and like, mm, man, this, this tastes so good. And I'm going to savor this tape. We don't do that. We got to eat right fucking now because in two minutes, that hot, delicious meal could be turning cold for the rest of the night, so we try to devour it. And you think it doesn't? It's so... It's, man, I'm telling you, these little subtleties in your in your normal behavioral pattern they change you throughout the course of your life, and you don't realize it. But 30 years later, you're still eating like a fucking puppy that just had kibbles and bits dropped in front of him in the first time for in, for the first time. I have ruined more family dinners then the law will allow just because I'm done. And when I'm done, I'm not sitting idle. You know, it's, it sucks. I, I wish I could sit down and have great conversation and sit there and just taste the meal for a change. Talk about my kids' days, talk about my spouse's day and just find out how everybody's doing. But that's not how it works. And what that looks like at the end of the day, it looks like you're a dad or a mom. When you when you act like that, it looks like someone who doesn't really care because you're not asking all the questions. Dinner time is one of the most, um, effective forms of bonding. I think that a family can do. And if you're not doing it right, you're fucking it up. You know, that's the one time of the day where the family really gets to sit, sit together and learn from one another. And I've been working on this very diligently for a long time. Um, and it's still hard for me. You know, when we go to dinner, I'll tell you right now, I I'm getting the check before my last bite. I always do that. When the waitress comes over for last time and checks on everything, I'm like, let's go ahead and get the check. Not only does it the check never even hit the table, when she comes over with it, my credit card or my, my debit card is already in my fingers and I'm handing it to her. I never really look at the check. I just that's that's how little I relax. That's how on edge I always am. And and when people are at dinner, they're like, man, you, t- you ready to go. And I'm, I'm, I'm kind of like, yeah, man, do y'all realize at any minute gunfire could break out in this place and I got my family in here. What the fuck is wrong with you getting comfortable in here, acting all safe and shit. That's the reality of it, man. I can't get over. I can't get over thinking about these therapy donkeys. <laughs> You know, at one time, I don't know if I've said this or not, but at one time I thought about turning my ranch into a first responder retreat. And then I, I thought against that because, I, you know, this place is for me. It's for my family. And I need this in my life. I'm not at a point where I can just completely um, let go to the point where I can have just anybody and everybody come around me all the time. Like I, I have to do it in stages and because I still have – you know, days where I need to come out here and just be alone. And I, and if I was having one of those days and I had a scheduled first responder retreat out here, it wouldn't be, it wouldn't be in my best interest and it wouldn't be for the first responder, who are, whoever was coming out. So I decided against that. And I said, as long as I'm going through, you know, still my stuff, I need to, I need to take care of me. So, but what I started thinking is I wish just like therapy dogs, I wish you could breed these donkeys for therapy donkeys, but the problem is you got to have property for a donkey. You can't like, it, it's not like a normal house, like an, or an apartment. If you live in an apartment, you can't just have a fucking donkey in there. You imagine, imagine coming home and there'd be, there'd be a damn donkey in your house You when you walk in and your girls in there instead of a, a damn German shepherd, you know, in the living room with your girl, there's a damn donkey in there. And you know what I mean? Like how, I guess this conversation could go a couple ways, but I'm not, I'm not going to take it there because if you've ever heard of the donkey shows in Tijuana, um, then you know what I'm talking about. But So donkeys just won't work unless you have property. But I highly encourage you, if you ever have an opportunity to go see some donkeys, especially miniature donkeys like I have, take, take a day. Find a small farm around wherever you are. And I'm telling you go pet some donkeys and watch what it does to you just watch i it it's it will move you you will completely forget everything that is bothering you and those donkeys will love on you you gotta do it I mean get some donkey love seriously not the tijuana kind like just the just just you know the pet it the petting zoo kind i um I got up a, a couple days before. You know, like I said, all the days run together. But there was a time last week where I woke up really early. It was like it was like five thirty, and my girls had to go to school that day. And I was home, and I was like, you know what, I'm I'm going to go get them. It was last Friday, I think. And I said, I'm going to go get them some Dunkin' Donuts, some little some donuts, and I'm gonna grab a coffee because I was out of coffee anyway. And I didn't feel like going to the grocery store. I'll just go ahead and get one. that's ready. So I drive my big-ass F-250 up to uh, Dunkin' Donuts in Mount Pleasant, and I'm literally the third person in line when they open that morning in the drive-through. I make my order two donuts and a large coffee, and then we, I pull around, and I see nothing but brake lights, right? I see two cars in front of me. There's one person at the window. It's still pitch black dark out, and I sit there. And I got to a point where I put the truck in park because I was like, all right, we're not moving. Now cars get behind me. This is, this is what I'm getting at. Now more cars start funneling in. Well, I started feeling very, very uncomfortable. I actually opened my center console to see if I had my weapon with me and I didn't. And now I'm like, well, son of a bitch. I know nothing's going to happen to me. I know that I'm in a safe spot. I'm in one of the safest towns in the United States, Mount Pleasant, South Carolina, right? I know nothing's going to happen, but I'm still having anxiety because I've been there. I understand the potential. I couldn't get out of line because the way that the, uh, the drive-thru is set up, they have these barriers. So once you're in that thing, you are in it. Well, I am like really starting to freak out a little bit. And I started controlling my breathing. I started, and I remember thinking, I'm just glad my kids aren't here. I'm glad my wife's not here because if they were talking, I would I would probably be, get really upset because I needed my senses. I actually cracked my windows so I could hear any kind of conversation that may be coming through that parking lot. I turned, because you know, diesel's loud. I turned it off for a second and I turned it off so I could hear this. Listen, this is hypervigilance at its finest. I turned my truck off just in case I could hear if somebody was slipping up on me, and then I was like, you know what? I gotta turn my truck back on because if I gotta push these people out of my way in front of me, that's what I'm gonna do. So I turned it on. I watched 15 minutes goes by. I'm still in this line. 20 minutes goes by. I'm still in this line. 27 minutes later, I couldn't take it anymore. I called the donut store. I called Dunkin' Donuts from from the parking from the drive through. The lady answers. And I said, ma'am, I said, are you guys open right now? She goes, yeah, we are. And I go, why? The line's not moving. She goes, yeah, the person at the window had a big order. So I go, why don't you ask her to move forward so the rest of us can get out, get our orders, and move on? You know what she said? She goes, we asked her to move, she won't move. And right then it was, oh, fuck this. So now I have a problem with discourteous people. I get out of my truck. I walk up to this person's window. I have no idea who's in this car, mind you. And I just walk up to their window and I look at this and it turned out it was a woman. I looked, so I I changed my tone. I go, ma'am, I go, did they ask you to move? And she looked at me and she lied right to my face because you you could just tell. She goes, no. And then the lady behind me had the window open. The lady in the Dunkin' Donuts drive-thru window goes, ma'am, we both asked you to move. And I looked at that lady and I go, move your car right now. I said, you're holding up the entire line. And you could tell she wanted me to tell me to go fuck myself. And I was standing there hoping she would not say something like that because it's not like I would have done anything. But my words could have hurt. And I felt something inside of me. I felt that time bomb that we talk about. I felt it about to go off. I walked back to my truck. And I sat down in my truck and I was like, why are human beings so fucking stupid? Why? Why are you so discourteous that you fuck everybody else? I'm going to sit here until I get my order. She ended up moving and the rest of us get ours. By the time I got my order, she, she actually just drove off. And so they, they prepared that big order. But what I'm getting at, it takes a lot to get me to that point. Now, back in the day, it would take about a minute If that, if that, so I don't see that as a complete failure. What I do see is a failure is me getting out of my vehicle. But in that instance, what was going to happen? Somebody had to say something. I've always been a guy that where I'm not afraid of conflict. I don't look for it, but I also don't cower to it. Um, but the older I get, I, I mean, I try to avoid it as much as possible. And I was, you know, I sat there sitting there for 27 minutes, like how long are you supposed to sit there before you ask person to move? I find it more offensive if somebody blows their fucking horn that way than, than walking up to your car. But then I thought about, it, I was like, wait, what if that was me sitting in that car? First of all, I would have never sat there that long. Cause I'm not discourteous like that. But if somebody walked up on my vehicle, one, you ain't going to do it because my head's on a swivel and I'm watching every single mirror and I'm turning around and I'm constantly watching and listening. But in the event they did, I don't. That's a dangerous situation. So I challenge you this. If you're anything like me, when you're put into these situations, how do you react? How do you control yourself from overreacting? Now I could have overreacted and maybe, maybe that was an overreaction on my part. Maybe I should have just stayed on the phone with the lady and said, could you ask her to move again? But it goes back to children when you ask people nicely, which they did, the person didn't respond. When somebody a little bit more assertive showed up to the scene who was not fucking around, and this isn't fuck around Friday, they respond to that. It's same, same, same as an animal, right? I can call my dog over all nicely, and she'll look at me, and if she comes, great. But if she doesn't, I can look at her and tell her, get the fuck over here with a little bit of bass in my voice. And she'll come. She just knows like, all right, fuck around. Friday is officially over. I need to get over there and see what daddy wants. I always hate being put in those situations, man. Um, That's why a lot of people, I think, have this skewed view towards law enforcement, law enforcement. They have to be so assertive all of the time that it becomes second nature to them it's hard to speak with a lot of compassion in your voice when you're constantly dealing with knuckleheads who don't understand nice when you're constantly dealing with knuckleheads who only respond to being assertive i know people their their dads were cops And they're like, my dad was never nice. My dad was always angry. He was always yelling and shit like that. And I'm sitting here, I'm thinking, no, your dad just never got off the clock. That's all that was. It was not that your dad wasn't nice. It was not that your, your father didn't love you. He just didn't know how to turn off the police officer. And that's really hard to do when that's all you do. I remember this time we had this, um, we had this drug dealer. We were in a, we were in a bad part of town. And me and my partner, we had this, this kid handcuffed it wasn't a kid. I mean, he was, I guess, I'm guess he was 18 ish somewhere in there. We had him handcuffed. He was on the back of, um, he was standing at the back of my patrol car and inside my patrol car was his partner. And I already, already put that kid in handcuffs. He was in the back of my car, so he was safe. I had all this kid's money on the back of the, the trunk of this car. Now, I'm, when I'm about to tell you, I don't, there's no real point to this story, but I'm going to tell it to you. It just popped into my mind. When I say this kid had thousands of dollars, probably three, four, five, it was, I mean, it was up there. There was hundred, like so many hundred dollar bills, it, it was a lot. And they were all across the trunk of my car. I had some, uh, some little cocaine baggies on the trunk of my car. And everything was going smoothly. My partner was there with me. I had a <laughs> kid handcuffed behind his back. He wasn't going anywhere, so I thought. Um, and this is, this is how fast things change in law enforcement. I took my hands off of the kid's handcuffs for a split second, literally a split second. And I turned to my partner and said, I don't know, three or four words. And my my partner, when I was talking to him, he just had this, oh shit, look in his face. He didn't even say anything. And I could, I could see it like yesterday. And I spun around real quick and this motherfucker was gone. The kid was gone, y'all. Like, and he was so fast. We watched him. I didn't say, we didn't stand there. Like we, we tried to catch him, (laughs) but we watched him like a gazelle with no hands. They were behind his back in handcuffs, jumping fences through across yards on these chain link fences. Like they weren't even there. He was like a fucking deer. So we chased for like a quick second and I said, bright idea. I was like, I got a patrol car. I'm going to go jump in my car, haul ass down the street. Well, my partner jumped in his car. I jumped in my car. I spun that thing around, showered the entire street with thousands of dollars. Okay, bunch of cocaine. It's all now in the street because I flipped, what we call flipped a U-turn it so fast and was woo. I was down the street. I got a suspect in the back of my car, which is a big no-no in law enforcement. Like you do not give chase, but like I say, things were a little bit different back then. There were people. All over the streets. Now, mind you, (laughs) all I cared about was this kid. And you get tunnel vision when you're in law enforcement. And who in the fuck runs from me? Like, you got my goddamn handcuffs? Come here. We chased this kid like a couple blocks. He gets away. We never caught him, by the way, ever. We knew who he was. We identified him. We put a warrant out for his arrest. Some other people caught him later. I suddenly realized oh shit. I got thousands of dollars in dope on my, on the back of my car. I stopped. Guess what? It's not there. So now I, I call my partner. I was like, Hey, we got to get back to the scene. We get back to the scene. right? They were on a stolen moped by mind you. The moped was there when, uh, when we first arrested them, we get back and none of that shit was there. <laughs> Somebody had restolen the moped. They took all the cocaine and this kid's money was gone. Like, so those handcuffs cost him an easy three to five thousand dollars. To say that the other officers had fun with me is an understatement. I got my balls busted big time for that. I don't know what made me flash back to telling that story, maybe because I was talking about police officers or whatnot. but that shit, man, I was talking with a police officer the other day. And we were just laughing about how much things have changed and how you'll never i would never be able to sit here and tell tell a lot of stories and that's all right that's fine i guess things change for for the better but these these stories just keep popping up in my mind i guess i'm on story time now um i may have i may have told i think i have told that story about the guy driving down the road who was butt naked and he, he Covered himself in lotion, he didn't want to go home to his wife, so he was taking care of himself while he was driving down the road. And me and my partner pulled him over. We thought he was a DUI. We thought he was drunk, but he wasn't. He was uh, he was just pretty. He was just lotioned up, and he was in heavy, in a heavy erotic state at the time. I want to leave you with this today. Is is I challenge you because I challenge myself daily when you feel like you want to communicate assertively and you feel like that's the only option. Try not to do that. Try to find a different way to communicate. And I tell you the best way that I've found that works is when you can actually take a few seconds to think about what you want to say and wait, wait a little longer and then come back to it. It's hard because at it, in the heat of things and like in the moment I, I I talk about first responders because we are decisive people. We're people that have to make decisions on the fly. So when it comes down to an argument or a a disagreement or anything, we we're normally it's hard for us to bite our tongue because we are just used to communicating in very harsh environments and um, uncontrolled environments and in chaotic environments. And that's why it's hard for people to understand us because when we communicate, we we communicate so abruptly and so um, sometimes it's vicious, and I don't mean it like in, in malicious, but it's just the way that it comes out. It's not what you said, it's how you said it kind of thing. I urge you to just take a step back and think about it. One of the ways I do that, and I've, I've, I've talked about this before, is I think right before I speak now, I'm like, is what I'm about to say or how I'm about to, how I'm about to say it, is this going to help the situation or is it going to hurt the situation? And if it's not helping the situation, then find a different way to do it. If you keep doing the same thing over and over and you keep the same repetitive behavior, it's never going to change. Like you got to break that cycle and you're the only one that can do that. That's why I say stop screaming over spilled milk because at the end of the day, it really, it really isn't a big deal. You know, what I, what I got upset with my daughter about yesterday, and I look at it the, the like the big picture when I take a step back at the big picture. Sure. I was justified in, in feeling the way that I felt and, but I was wrong in the way that I communicated it. And it doesn't matter if, you know, I tried. I tried the first time. I tried to do it delicately, and it didn't work. So what I needed to do as their father and as somebody that they look up to is I got to find a more effective way because I don't. I know when you. I say that when you when you get a little bit more stern. I don't necessarily know that that helps. Yeah, that may. That may get them in line really quick, but I don't know at the end of the day that it does any more good than it does bad. I think at the end of the day, they they learn to fear you or they they learn to withdraw from you if you communicate like that every time something doesn't go your way. So I'll tell you as a man and as a father, I got work to do. And I I know some of you do too. The work doesn't do itself. All right. The next time you want to scream over spilled milk, and I know some of you do, it's the smallest little things that set us off. You got to control that impulse and try to think about what that's going to do to everybody else. Okay? All right. I wish you all luck, and we'll talk next week. I love you all. Bye.